Today will be a little bit different. It just will be. Um, so I give you that as a heads up. I want to thank Tyler for segueing that. Um, I think he did a great job of kind of segueing that. And I want to reiterate what Tyler said, if you didn't catch it. Just that, that we are in a, it's a mini-series. Um, this is not the way that we typically teach as a church. Um, we teach exegetically straight through books of the Bible. We'll be kicking off Genesis uh, beginning in February, right about when the stones got to head right back out to Colorado. You guys will miss all that, but, uh, but you're going to move back here next month. Anyway, so there's that. Um, so we're going through a mini-series on vision. Or what does it mean to be a part of Safe Haven Church? So it does feel way different. And we're hitting some topics that we're going to focus on as a church in 2022 specifically. So if you're in here going, okay, should I, am I going to be a part of Safe Haven Church? We're just giving you a picture of what that looks like, like real practically. That's what this has been all about. Um, but before I get to that, maybe to intro that. In, so in Christianity, there's just always a pendulum. Um, you've heard me talk about pendulum swings quite often. My brain thinks in pendulum swings, and yours probably does too even if you don't know it. And so church functions largely in a pendulum, meaning that it swings from truth to grace. And so here's a picture of a pendulum. But how this fleshes itself out is this. In the Bible, there's truth, okay? So there's a lot of people who are truth people. If you know you're a truth person, help me out, because I'm telling you I'm nervous as a cat in today's message. We'll get to that in a second. But if you're a truth person, just, hey, I know I'm a truth person. Get truth people? Okay. So truth people swing to this pendulum. And truth is, in the scriptures, God has a holy standard of perfection. That's true. And so therefore, let's be rigid truth people. And so hyper-truth people will end up like... And I'm not not knocking, I'm just being honest. Um, Independent, fundamental Baptist churches are this way. It's, It's, you know, it's the truth only. And again, I'm not knocking, I'm just... This is how it swings. Let's just be truth, God's robust standard. And then the pendulum also swings over here to grace people. Hey, mankind is in the sanctification process. We're, we're not there. We don't meet God's perfect standard of truth. That's the, the point. Now, to be fair, where are my grace people? Raise your hands. All right, so we just created a war between all the grace people and all the truth people. So we'll have a battle royal here after the service right here in the middle. All right, y'all can fight it out to see who's there. And, and, and grace junkies and largely safe haven church can swing there as a people group really fast just towards grace junkies. Being that we all know we're on a journey. And it's, it's, we all miss the mark. That's the whole point of the gospel. If we could live over here in just robust truth, as the Pharisees tried to do, then we wouldn't need the gospel, which is what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, you you think you're well and you don't need a physician. So I didn't come for you. I'm come for those who are sick. All right, so there's this pendulum swing. Well, Safe Haven tries to live right there, right in the middle. We, We try our best to be right there. Being that Galatians 5, I think, sums it all up. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think that verse shows both sides of the pendulum. We're not to gratify the desires of the flesh. Truth. Therefore, we're to walk in the Spirit as a guide. Sanctification process. That's where we try to live in the gray, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Now, how does this fit into the series? Troy, how does that fit into a vision series of who we are, what it means to be a part of Safe Haven Church, or what are we focusing on in 2022? How does that tie in? Well, let me recap where we've been. 
The recap is this. Week one, we said in 2022, we want to remind everybody that we as a church, if you're going to be a member of Safe Haven, we are exegetes. Meaning we go verse by verse through the scriptures. That's, we explained why we do that, gave you 14 reasons why, and four reasons Genesis will benefit us in the coming year. Then week two, we looked at we're also evangelists. We're called to evangelize. We're to, to share with anybody, wherever we go, the next person, we're to share the claims of the gospel. We gave you nine reasons we should go and 11 ways that you can get on board. And so this week, here we go, get ready for it. Boom, we give. Now we got people that are ready to leave right now. Before you leave, hang on. <laughs> like, I'm out of here, buddy. Let me explain this. As a church, um, we planted Safe Haven in 2009 in the theater. It grew. Then we multiplied into two churches. Um, over the past 12 years, we have preached on giving one time. <laughs> one time. So if you're like, I'm in a church. They're going to talk about giving. One time in 12 years... Is, 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 is pretty astounding for a church. Um, the reason we don't do that is because we believe so much in exegesis, but by God's sovereignty, you are here today, so you're about to hear all kinds of stuff about giving. So, but here's the reason. We're, we're going we're to look at six reasons we give and how SHC is called to leverage those gifts for the work of ministry. Again, now tie all of that into what we're doing as a series. So we're looking at who we are and what it means to be a part of Safe Haven and what we're going to focus on this year. Exegesis, evangelism, giving, and then Tyler gets to come up over here next week all happy and give you all the fun stuff. So my heart's about to beat out of my chest, and he's going to bebop skipping up here with an awesome message, all right? So here we go. This is where we find ourselves in the text. How does this fit into the pendulum? Why did I give you the pendulum? Let's look at this. Well, because when it comes to giving or being a part of a local church, a lot of times there are truth people when it comes to giving. Truth people sound a lot like this. Go ahead and pop that up there. Truth people will say, well, behavior and belief cannot be separated. If you believe something, then your behavior will match it. So believers ought to obey Scripture. Therefore, Christ talks more about money than anything else. So let's put everybody's tithing record up on the screen. Now, you giggle because some of you truth people are like, that's right. Let me tell you why we're not going to do that, because we value our church. And if we do that, I guarantee you next week there'll be one person here, Tyler, because he has to preach the message. So, so this is where truth people land. Now, let's go to grace people. Grace people, when it comes to giving, fall here. Well, Christ covers us where we fail, and only the Lord knows my heart. So giving is between me and the Lord. So therefore, I give my time, energy, and effort to other things. Which usually is AKA for, I give my time, energy, and effort to myself. That's usually what that means. Nobody giggling about the grace people, right? But a lot of us feel that because you are grace people. and That's just between me and the Lord. I'll just rip out all of Scripture, <laughs> right? And so where are we as a balance? Here's where we land as a balance, and we believe all churches should land. Life in HCC. If we collectively value the riches of Christ's redemptive work, then we should just simply love to worship him from the wealth that he allows us to borrow. That's where it should fall, right there. It's far less about obedience and more about, am I just grateful for the work of Christ? Am I grateful for the work of redemption? That's where it should fall in, in all churches. That should drive us and motivate us to think about 
how do I respond with what God has given me? And so that's where we're at today. And if you are a covenant partner at Safe Haven Church, this is an emphasis for us in 2022. And I'll get to why in just a second. So to all of us who are working adults today, by God's grace, we're going to think a few moments just about money. And if you're a student or a child or something like that, you go, okay, well, this doesn't apply to me. (laughs) I'm free and clear. That is squarely on my parents, right? Well, by God's grace... You get to proactively think about what will you think about money when you grow up as a Christian? How will that impact your life? And so, all that to say, what does the Bible say? Because isn't that the most important thing? Just what does the Bible say? Let's look at that and then let's align our lives to that. So what does the Bible say? Number one, here's what the Bible says about giving. All wealth is from the Lord. And the notion of well, I choose to give of what I have earned is just a false notion. That's not true biblically. The Bible says this about money. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth. And then it goes on to say this in 1 Chronicles twenty-nine twelve: Both riches and honor, status, come from the Lord. And the Lord rules over all. And in his hand are power and might. And in his hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So when we think about giving, the first principle of of giving is this. We start with not what is mine that I'm giving to the Lord. We start with everything I have is the Lord's. And he just lets me borrow it. He just lets me be a part of it. So that's where we begin with giving. Number two. The scripture also says this, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant was crystal clear about what's called first fruits giving. Some of y'all may have heard of first fruits giving, but this is where this comes from. Exodus 23, 19 says this, The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And so what would happen is as they cultivated their lands and did their things and, and, and got all the... The produce, they wouldn't grab it and store it into barns. The very first thing they did is they would gather their first fruits, bring it to the house of the Lord, and then they would go and do the rest. This is where first fruits comes from. Proverbs 3, 9 goes on to say it this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. All that to say, if you want a lot of wine, then you need to give, all right? That's not, okay, we're not going there. Don't, don't hold me to that. Um, Maybe front, okay, I should shut up, Troy. So the principle of this is just this. Worship first and then enjoy second. That's the principle. The Lord's given me wealth, so the principle of first fruits is, so therefore I should, I should worship first and then enjoy Enjoy it. Love it. Live life up. Do the things. Buy the things. Get the mastercraft. For all that is holy, get the mastercraft. 
and let me borrow that sucker, okay? This doesn't negate things. And that's where I think a lot of times churches are like, you know, you should live in a box and, you know, all the... I think of David Platt and the whole radical concept, and, and we could talk about that later. If David, like, if you're a David Platt pony boy, like, you know, I, I love David; he's awesome. But I think the radical nature sometimes you just give it all away, and, and I don't think that's the biblical principle. I don't think the Lord says don't enjoy. What He says is enjoy, but worship Me first. I think that's the, the principle here. Number three. So, what does the New Testament say? Now we get to the New Testament. The New Covenant Testament, uh, New Testament Covenant actually shifts to the heart. Shifts to the internal nature of the heart. So, here's what this looks like. Galatians 2.19. Paul says, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So now, if you want to know what the New Testament says, it says that the law is no longer applicable to us. We don't live to obey the law. Christ has bust the law down for us. We'll get to that in just a second. I'm about to speak. All my grace junkies now are leaning up. Like the truth junkies were there with me in the Old Testament. Now the grace junkies are going to start leaning up. Ephesians 2.15 says it this way. In the cross of Christ, what was God doing? God was abolishing the law of uh, commandments expressed in ordinances. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says this. Each one of us must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, where does this fit in? Because if you've ever heard a message on giving, you've probably heard something along the lines of, we are called to give 10%, this is the number, and it's that robust law thing, right? What Fascinating fact, does anybody know in the Old Testament what the percentage actually was? Because it wasn't 10%, anybody know? It's actually around 23%. It was 23% law that the church gave to the temple. And the reason was is because it was a theocracy. It was a lot along the lines of what our IRS is today. So the IRS says, here's the number, give it. Right? In the Old Testament, it was the same way for the Israelites. Here's the number, and you give it. Okay? So this is the, the principle going on here. The New Testament gets and says, hey, that law is gone. <laughs> there, there is no law. So you'll never hear from Safe Haven Church, you should give 10%. Or better yet, to be biblical, you should give 22.3%. You'll never hear that. But what you will hear is this, how's your heart? Where's your heart? Have you asked of the Lord, what does it look like to be generous and cheerful in giving? And so this is what this calls us to. It calls us to contemplate really simply this. How grateful am I for salvation? Do I trust the Lord with my eternal salvation and super grateful for that? And go this, Lord, I'm so happy that you saved me and redeemed me and you can seal my soul all the way into eternity. You are so awesome that even my sin cannot befall me because your grace covers me and you will. I won't carry myself up to eternity. You'll drag me up there. That's how awesome your grace is. You're that powerful. But hey, I'm going to hold on to this checkbook. (laughs) Because, Lord, I don't know that you can handle that the way that it needs to be handled. Do we trust him that much for our eternal security? And go, but I need to be the one that was faithful to myself to make sure that I dot, 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 dot. That's what it calls into question. And that's where the heart comes in. And this is where scripture gets to this point. Now, let's keep going. What, What was it used for? What was giving used for in the Bible? 
Now my heart begins to beat really, really fast. There is individual stewardship and there's also church stewardship. There's an individual call to be good stewards and there's also a church call to steward those gifts well for the work of ministry and not to flounder them. That's true. Both the Old and New Testament taught giving as a means to compensate priests and ministers for doing the work of ministry. There it is, and now I'd like to vomit on all of you. This is why the elders should be preaching this message and not Troy Nicholson. This physically makes me want to yak right here. Um, And I want to yak because of the abuse in many contexts. This passage has been used to abuse... Uh, money and resources in church. Um, I can guarantee you at Safe Haven Church ain't everybody getting rich. <laughs> I can assure you of that. Um, and, if you, and I will challenge you, if you don't believe me, come sit down. Me and Julie Beth have a file folder of all of our finances on our bar. Our kids see, our kids see it all the time. You can come down and sit down and see every penny we got and where it goes. Carte blanche. You are welcome. All right? With that said, I also don't want to negate what the Scripture's doing here and why the tithes and offerings were brought to the priests. Let's look at this. Numbers 18, 24. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I've given to the Levites. The Levites were the priests. I've given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I've said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. And so what happened was, is the priests didn't get to live in the marketplace. They didn't get to compete for 401ks. They didn't get to compete for raises. They didn't job hunt to get the new move up the ladder. And largely, that's how it still goes today. The church does not provide a 401k retirement plan, all that kind of stuff for for safe and employees. So we don't compete in the marketplace. And so there is very much, there is a portion that goes to Tyler and the staff and and all that kind of stuff. That's just true and it's right. And I'm not going to be ashamed of scripture. It's just biblical. That's how the Lord has provided to care for those who've given their lives away just for the sake of the gospel. Um, With that comes a very real responsibility to be doing the work of the gospel. And if you ever see us not doing the work of the gospel and giving our lives away and just sitting in an office or whatever, then you have every right to come to us and go, hey, man, I don't think you're doing the work of ministry. So there is that real responsibility. Now look at the New Testament. Let the elders who rule be well uh, considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so in the... Both the new and old, giving was a means to compensate those who've given their lives or felt the call to give their life away for the gospel. That's, number one, what ministry money was used for. Number two, both in the Old and New Testament, teaches that giving was a means to do external work of ministry. That's where money also goes. So if you go, okay, where does money go at Safe Haven Church? And you look at the budget, you will see compensation. But you'll also see, this is everything we do. God's plan A for funding the ministry of His church is people. And there is no plan B. Let me tell you ahead of time. I have prayed long and hard that God would grow a tree in the front of our property. And it just grow money all over it. I have prayed that, and that shows you how effective my prayers are because there has yet to grow a tree in the front of our property. I've also prayed for somebody in the church to win the lottery. We can talk about the ethics of that later. 
but nonetheless, it's, it's, it's God's people. God's people have always funded ministry. And so the work of ministry is funded. Now, now here's the deal. I bring that up uh, because we're going to get to some, some fun uh, things in just a second. Uh, but, but let's go ahead and look at these things on the screen. Uh, I won't read through all of it, but just kind of give you the highlights. Deuteronomy 14, Old Testament. They brought the tithes into the temple, and the Levites got some of it, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, widower, uh, the towns, people who uh, need food. All of that was brought in to do the work of ministry. And so we have benevolence needs, and we send money off to Acts 29 for church planting, and, and we send them off to SBC for International Mission Board. Uh, we, we send money here and there to do different things for works of ministry. Um, you get to Malachi chapter 3. This is the only other time I've actually preached on tithing is when we went through Malachi. Um, And so the Lord says, you're robbing me. You are robbing me. And then the people respond, well, how are we robbing you? And he says, here, you're robbing me in your tithes and contributions. Therefore, you're cursed with a curse. Um, For you're robbing the whole nation of you. So bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So it came in to do the work again of ministry. You get the New Testament. Because I love when people go, oh, that's all Old Testament stuff. No, man, it's New Testament stuff. Um, You get the New Testament, Romans 15. And Paul says this, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Watch this. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owed it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing. They ought also to be of service to them in their material blessings. Like we could have just left that verse right there and it just kind of sums everything up. They were grateful for salvation, so therefore they were grateful to send money out to do the work of ministry so that others could hear about the good news of Christ. Right? You get to 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrived, I'll send those who, uh, who you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And they carried it to continue to do the work of the ministry in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the service of the saints, and all this kind of stuff. And so you get to this moment, and so you see in the Bible, giving is a means of compensation, also continued work of ministry, and it's just collective whole with the two. Now, let's wrap this up. Get to six. All this combined. What does all this combined mean? At minimum, it should give us a biblical framework for what is biblical giving. Because there's biblical giving and non-biblical giving. So what does biblical giving and budgeting look like? Basically, the question here is, what does your funnel look like? What's your funnel shaped like? Because I think largely in our culture, the Christian funnel is shaped upside down when it comes to giving. Here's what it looks like biblically to combine all of these verses. And there's so many more, guys. It looks like this. We as a family, me and Julie Beth, should sit down and go, this is how much we will receive. If you're salaried, it's this is how much we will receive. If you're hourly, it's this is how much I received. Okay, So we're getting real practical now. This is the number that we'll receive. Therefore, this is what we've prayed through and we've asked the Lord first, what will we do with this? That's our first move. Our first move is not, will I live in this neighborhood? Will I build this house? Will I buy this thing? Will I get this season tickets? Will I, will I? That's not the first question. 
The first question is, how will we honor the Lord from our first fruits? Then we calculate that and we go, okay, this is what we'll give. Now, this is how much I have left over as a gift from the Lord to enjoy. And then you live from that. You live from the excess. You live from, that's just the funnelish shaped. And so then, after this, you go, okay, this is what I get. This is what I, we choose to joyfully give to the Lord as we've sought and prayed. And now, after that, what are we go, where are we going to live? What are we going to buy? What are we going to, and again, if it's a Mastercraft, get the white one that has the red lettering. They're awesome. They're more awesomer than the blue ones. All that to say, biblical giving is we don't give out of our leftovers. We live out of our leftovers. That's the principle. So at minimum, I'm more convinced than ever, the question biblically with giving, thinking about the old covenant and the new covenant, the question is not how much do I give. The question is how much do I dare keep. How thankful am I? Does the work of the Lord mean that much to me in terms of, yes, he gets me to heaven, so therefore I'll worship him not from my resources, but I'll give him my time, you know, whatever. It calls to question our hearts, doesn't it? Now, with that said, I want to say two things. One very bold, hopefully, and one very gracious. One tough, one tender. These passages and thinking through this, at the risk of sounding harsh, members at Safe Haven Church in 2022, here's what we're calling you to. To be unashamed of the Scriptures. Therefore, having a joyful duty to worship the Lord from the wealth that He lets us borrow. We should do that. Now, why do I bring that up? Here's why. Y'all know, I don't know anything about giving at Safe Haven Church. I don't know who gives what. I know what me and Julie Beth give. I don't even know what my children give. We know nothing, okay? But I do know this. I do know that we've just wrapped up the year and that 25 of our 100 covenant partner giving units. So me and Julie Beth are a giving unit. Does that make sense? Uh, So our family of five is one giving unit. So we have 110-ish covenant partners. 25 of those units gave nothing this year. Not one penny, not one dime, not anything. And so that's a problem. And it's not a problem because the church needs money. That's not, y'all know we have never missed budget, not one time. And by God's grace in 2021, we didn't miss it again. We have never missed budget. Praise the Lord. We're, we're not in need. We're not, that's not the, the point. The point is this, that exposes a problem of what we believe the scripture says about giving when 25 of our giving units have given squat. And so we need to emphasize that. And we need to grow in that area. We need to grow in the grace of giving just as much as we grow in the gift of the grace of evangelism. We need to grow. It's a spiritual priority and it should be a priority to us as a church. So there it is. If God's called you to be a part of Safe Haven Church, we're asking you to honor the Lord. Now notice, we're not throwing numbers out there. We're not, (laughs) if you don't meet this number, that's not the thing. But you ought to sit down with your family and go, hey, what does this mean to us? Do do we give? Do we worship through giving? 
We, you should talk about that. We need to grow in that area. So that's the tough. And I pray that didn't sound like real tough. I pray it sounded like the weakest, tough, sissiest tough you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> because I'm the grace guy, all right? We, I almost said a name. I'll just say this. We need at least one of our elders to be doing this, and you probably can pick out which one the tough one would be, all right? Um, let's go to the tender side. In tender care. Members at SHC, we are grace junkies. <laughs> but we should be so thankful for the work of Christ that covers all of our shortcomings, and that should result in us growing in the grace of giving to war against our idolatry, to worship the Lord from our tithes and offerings, and to push us to be a grateful people. We should give because we're grateful. I gave you the bad numbers. Now let's flip to the other side. There were also, on the other end of the spectrum, 25 of our 100 giving units who gave at least $6,000, most of them more. Why the number 6000 if you just go with the base rate of 10%, because that's what the word tithe is. Tithe literally means tenth. If you just go with that, the median income of Northport, Alabama is $60,000. Now, the vast majority of y'all in this room combined make way more than that. Now, some of you make way less than that. And there are some students in here who go, I ain't got squat. <laughs> all right? I get it. We understand all that, okay? But the grace is this. At least... 25 giving units at least gave the average of the annual income of couples in Northport, Alabama. Praise the Lord. Now you can read between the lines, quite literally. There's another 50 that some of it's like $5 and $10 and $100 and all the way up to $5,000, whatever. Um, so it's tough. Hey, church, let's grow. Let's grow. Let's honor the Lord and, and be obedient, but also worshipful. And then to the tender side. Hey, thank you for all of us who are worshiping through that. And praise the Lord that we've seen the work of ministry continue because of your faithfulness in Northport, Alabama. And take it to the other side of the river. Because as y'all know, when we multiplied the church, we handed that church down there $300,000 to begin the work of ministry. Praise God. Praise God. He's been faithful because of you. And I think we should be able to say that aloud. Through you, God has honored the gospel growing in Tuscaloosa. Praise God. My mouth is so dry. <laughs> All right. Uh, now for the fun part. For the fun part. You should see one of these in your, uh, in your seat. You should have seen one of these when you sat down. Pretty cool, pretty awesome, um, super organized, and very little tiny font. <laughs> so you may need a magnifying glass a little bit later. Uh, but you look at the church and you go, okay, it is our individual responsibility, but what does the church do with money? Well, here you go. Here is you a whole year of where your money will go in 2022 and all of the different ways in which your tithes are used to do the work of ministry. Just Friday night... There was a room full of dads dancing around with their daughters and money was used that you've given throughout the year to help make that happen. Praise God. I want our kids to have the coolest dances ever. 
Praise God. Um, together for the city last year, when we went to all of the different schools and did all the works of ministry, money was poured into that. Uh, your money that's given, we're pouring back out. And so this is what it looks like in 2022. Everything from bringing in Ray Ortland. Uh, like most of you have no idea who Ray Ortland is. Just Google Ray Ortland, and you're going to see a list of all kind of things, books that he's written. Ray Ortland's coming in, him and Janie, to do a marriage conference. Here, right here in our church. Now, do not say that out loud. Do not publish it on Facebook because we will have not have room to put people in. So this is internal. Keep it quiet. Ray Ortland's coming here, right? And, and they're going to do a marriage conference. Uh, Ted Tripp. We're not bringing in Ted Tripp because we can't afford him. But we are doing a simulcast. And so we're going to do a parenting conference. What does it look like to do gospel parenting? We're doing together for the city. The youth are doing all kinds of things. There's just a lot going on. And so we wanted to give you, as you walk away today, going, where, where does my money go? Here you go. This is what it looks like to be a part of Safe Haven Church. Um, so there's all kinds of things going on. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. All of us can do something. So a parting note. A parting note is this. Any member, any covenant partner can sit down with an elder at any time. That does not mean staff. Not me, not Beth, not Tyler, not Austin, not anybody. You can sit down with an elder at any time you want as a covenant partner and see the budget line for line, detail for detail. That's open to you at any given time. All right. So just know that. Um, so that takes all the pressure off of me. Ben, hope you enjoy that. All right? Um, so, so you can do that because we want to be honest in that. All of giving boils down basically to what do you believe about Psalm 23? All of giving can be boiled down to that. The Lord is my shepherd. And when we don't give, aren't we actually saying, I don't really trust you. I don't trust that you'll provide for my wants and needs. It just boils down to that. In church, the Lord has never once been unfaithful to any of us. He's faithful. We can trust Him. I'm going to end with an as-the-story-goes moment. As the story goes, Dwight L. Moody, famous revivalist in Chicago, was having one of their revivals. <clears throat> and a kid came in from the back. He was, a, a, what is it called, a street urchin? Um, he was poor. He didn't have family. He came in. And, and so he, he came into the room, and Moody saw him, and he went and sat down. And for an hour, he heard about the gospel, and he heard about Christ, and he heard about his redemptive work and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the revival, like a lot of revivals, if you've been to, they did the, the love gift. Y'all, y'all, know the, y'all remember the love gift? We're going to take up a love offering, which is 99% of the time way more love than offering. Right? But they were taking up the love offering for Moody. And, and of course, the, the boy didn't have anything to give. And he, and he saw him passing the plate. And they brought it down to the front. And again, as the story goes, and many of you guys have heard this story, um, they sit down the offering and people are leaving. And the little boy starts walking towards Moody. And so Moody begins to freak out and go, all right, let's get people together. He's coming to get the money. <laughs> He's going to bolt. He's out of here. What is going on? And so he heads down, and some people kind of gather around. And then they noticed the little boy was crying. And with tears in his eyes, he looks at him, and he goes, 
I don't have anything to put in that plate. But if everything you just told me is true, that there's this guy named Christ who loves me and forgive me of all of my sin and can redeem my relationship with the Father, and he steps forward and he grabs the plate and he puts it down. And then Moody says he puts one foot in and then the second foot in. I don't got no money, but he can have everything I've got. That's what giving should call us to do. Are we that grateful for the work of redemption? Let's pray together. The Lord. Nothing quite exposes our hearts like money. And Father, if men and women who lived in clay huts in 10 B.C., A.D., were willing to give of what they had for the work of ministry. God, convict our church, I pray, as the pastor. God, do not let our church be deficient in this area. God, make of the people of Safe Haven people who are joyfully willing to give. God, that when we gave, we would erupt in worship. God, that it would be just as much a part of our liturgy as communion, singing. God, that we would celebrate. And as people who don't live in clay huts, many in this room in thousands of feet houses, At minimum, we would compete with those Old Testament and New Testament saints to rejoice for your glory. So make of us a people who are so enamored by the gospel, that are so enamored that you gave everything, that you were the model of giving. We'll be so enamored by that that you'll make of us a people who worship you with our wealth. Forgive us, Lord, where we failed you. Forgive us as elders and pastors for being scaredy cats to talk about this. Give us spines of steel to be obedient and hearts of grace to be thankful. You have never failed. 